Ochoa. I have a question for you today. My question is, you have now experienced a full week of our campus, formerly my campus, because you were not there, but our campus. I want to know... What what's your takeaways from it? Because you've seen a bunch of different cultures, you've seen a bunch of different leaders, you've seen a bunch of different onboarding first week back. Um, and I just want to know what what are your takeaways when you were sitting around this week? And I know you had a busy weekend, so you might not even had time to think about this. But off the top of your head, what is it that you've taken away from this first week at our school? A collegial family. That is one thing that is not everywhere. And so what I mean by that is everybody was extremely, I mean, the minute that I got there, of course, you know, I've been to every, just about every middle, uh, secondary school in our our district. So it's not because, I want to make this clear, it's not because I've been in trouble, it's because people need me or I choose to go somewhere. So, Well, if you were in that <laughs> much trouble, there would, you wouldn't be changing school. <laughs> True, too. <laughs> but anyway, and so, but the thing is, is I have been around uh, the district and each one of our schools has a unique culture. And, you know, I mean, I've been to our, the most well-off school. It's taught there for nine years and I've been to probably some of our lowest economic uh, demographic schools. And the thing about the school that you have, I can see why you wanted to go back is because everybody was extremely welcoming. I mean, they like seemed excited that I was there, you know, like, but it wasn't just the principals that were like, we're so glad you're there. It was like one teacher right after another. And you know what? You're not even the one who introduced me to the to the campus. It was somebody else who wanted to come over and introduce me and made a big deal out of it. And then what was really neat was when um, our counselor goes, and she was our academic coach. She was my academic coach. So I think part of that is because I have been everywhere, but just watching each other, all of you, you know, talk with each other, talk with the principals, principals talking with us. And it's just, everybody is serious, but yet they have a lot of fun. In other words, I think that they're serious about loving the kids into learning. And I think that's the the community that I'm seeing at this point in time. I hope y'all didn't put that up, you know, just to kind of impress me a little bit. You know, like this week, we got to make sure we impress Pam and look like a family and, you know, act like a culture. No, it really seems like it's a real deal. Another thing that I found was fascinating was... The committees, you know, I think that was, I've never been anywhere where they made everybody join at least a minimum of one committee. And then everybody has to have a club. I mean, everybody, not not just these few over here. And so it got, it was a feel that everybody contributes. And so it's almost like everybody plays a role to make the school successful. And I think it's exciting. I'm excited. I'm hoping I kind of can uh, fit right in and, and make a difference like you guys have. 
I have something I want to add to that, but I'm going to intro the show okay. since that's a perfect stopping point. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Craft and Draft. I'm Jacob Chastain. That is Pam Ochoa. We are two seventh grade English teachers who love talking about reading and writing workshop. We come on here every single Friday dropping a podcast. Sometimes they're 30 minutes. Sometimes they're an hour and a half. You just never know what is going to go down, but we like to explore topics. We like to give our tips and tricks, but... We're just passionate people. We're not coming here as the be-all, end-all. We're just here to have great conversations with you guys. A lot of y'all ask questions. A lot of y'all have been listening and sharing and supporting the podcast. Thank you for that. It really does help. We've seen the numbers. We've seen the numbers boost in the last several weeks. So super excited to have a bunch of new listeners here today. We are going to be jumping into a more philosophical concept. Our last two episodes are very nuts and bolts about craft and draft, and I'm sure we'll get to some of that today, but we're going to jump into a more broad topic today, talking about the art of teaching. What does that mean? Does Do you have to have the art of teaching? Can you just be a qualified teacher? What is art's role in teaching and everything in between? All of that wound up into one big topic today. All right, before we jump to all of that, though, I want to I want to double back on just some of the stuff you said. I think, uh, you know, in terms of the the vibe of the campus, you know, it's always been like that. Like even when I started as a as a teacher that didn't know anything, like there's always been this energy. And I think that's just kind of what it is. But I wanted to talk about our principal, Jody Fadley, who I've been waiting to have her on Teach Me Teacher. It's probably going to happen at some point. Um, the COVID year wasn't the year to do it because there was a million things. So maybe maybe this year we'll make it happen. But she's a leader that's always really interesting to me because when she showed up, it's like a firecracker. You know, it's you you like firecrackers. They're fun and they're loud and they make pretty colors and stuff, but they're also scary sometimes, you know. <laughs> especially <laughs> especially <laughs> Oh my God, guys. The reason I'm laughing so hard is because Miss Ochoa is laughing hard. She's muted herself. But so when you when you point a firecracker at someone, it's scary, right? When you're holding one. So a lot of people didn't know how to take our principal at first. And I remember having early conversations with her because I had met her when I when I came. I was like exploring the campus. I was coming back from being a coach, and I was like uh, one of the teachers introduced me and then I told her I was a literacy coach and she asked what I love. And I was like, I love workshop teaching. And she goes, Oh, well we should get together and plan some PD. So that like anytime anyone's like, Hey, let's plan PD early. I'm in. So I spent a lot of time with her that summer talking about, uh, the writing push that now we're reinventing again, uh, with you and our partner and the admin team. But so I, I had that inside scoop on really who she was, her philosophy. The rest of the campus did not. And they were coming off a principal who was very lighthearted in a lot of ways. He was great and he led well, but he was just very calm and not her, right? She's very to the point, get things done, right? Get everyone involved. And that's scary. If you haven't ever been to a campus where a principal is not only respectful and, and does their job well, but demands high expectations of every single person on campus. Like that's kind of, that's scary sometimes. Right. Mm-hmm. And especially, mm-hmm. so I remember everyone, 
maybe not everyone, a little hyperbolic, but a lot of teachers were like, you know, this is, this is the end It's going down. This is going to be, you know, they were, they were so scared of it. And then after a while, you know, she eventually wins over people and people learn who she is and you start having a respect for her because her leadership style is direct, but it's also spreading the wealth. She never walks into a room and says, this is how it is. She gets her, the people around her that want to be a part of those conversations. And then the people make the, the, the people make the decisions. You know, I've been empowered to make a lot of decisions. Tons of people have been empowered, but no one group makes all of the decisions, which is not always the case on a campus. Sometimes there's the clicks right. and there's the, the crew, but she spreads it out. And one of the ways she does that is by having these, you know, uh, committees that are so spread out and she puts a limit on it. So the people that want to be in everything can't be in everything. And I don't know, it's, it's an interesting dynamic. Um, this is the longest, uh, fun fact. This is the longest I've ever had a principal three years. This will be the third year. I've never had a principal that long. Wow. Well, um, well, it was obvious that cause there were a, I've been to I've been to campuses where it's like the little core team of teachers, usually the department chairs, and they pretty much tell everybody what they're going to do, and then the principal stands up there and tells everything, and then it goes to the counselor. But the teachers are being told what to do. What what are we going to expect? And in this case, uh, this year, or what I, what I noticed is like you said, it, it was it was every I mean it was everybody, and everybody was receptive. That was another thing. There was no like snide comments or, oh yeah, there she goes again or he goes again. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, same. There was nothing like that at all. There was no snide comments. Another thing that I found um, was also, I guess, thrilling, if you will, for for me. And that is uh, not one person said one terrible thing about one student. I, I didn't hear one bad thing. Now, were people said, well, we do have students that have needs, but it wasn't, oh my gosh, you're going to have that person, you know, let me tell you, it was nothing like that, nothing negative at all about any of the students. So uh, I made a comment to somebody outside, but somebody I know in the district, and they said, well, that's one thing that they're really known for is loving their kids. They love their kids over there. And I think it was really obvious. And, and I think I'm excited to be a part of a group that loves kids into learning. And I think that's something that I'm, ex- I'm looking forward to it. So would you say that that love and passion for the students in the building, is that the art of teaching? Is, the, is that connect to what the art piece is, or is that something that's a, a little bit more streamlined in terms of, in other words, can you, can you teach, can you be an effective teacher without that level of love and appreciation for the students in the building? I don't, I don't think so. I think when you're dealing with art, you're dealing with your passion. I think, it's just like at art in general. I mean, just what is an artist? Uh, you know, an artist could be a musician. It's a creator, but it's somebody expresses their their deepest feelings and the way that they their emotions and and they translate that you know in their work, right? And and they they have to learn the the skills. They have to like well, let's say just an artist in general. They have to know things where the vanishing point is. They have to they have to know how colors work together and how. Uh, hues of colors work together and things like that. Uh, I, I, 
I think if you are not familiar with those things, you know, I don't think you can do that. So I do think you need science, if you will. But it's that love, it's that passion for that canvas, that passion for the painting, whatever it does inside that person, whatever that person does, uh, whatever they do, uh, I think it shows in their work. And I think as far as like a teacher goes, I think when you walk into a classroom, you can tell really fast if, if they are an artist in their craft. And that craft, of course, is is being able to pull all the different nuances of teaching, pulling it together. And I do think, like you said, you said, does that love, is that love important? I think the love of the children, if you don't love the children, you're not going to want to do your best. You're not going to want to pull your creativity into whatever it is you do. So it's the artist shares with their audience their deepest feelings. And and I really think in teaching, we do the same thing with our students. You know, I think this is a really interesting, uh, it's a really interesting point because of the ongoing conversation in the public sphere about what teaching should be, what teachers should be, what schools should be. And there is, I think one of the things that is kind of getting muddled, so to speak, is uh, we we have a lot of people that think when they think of teaching, they think of a lot of people who should just be showing up and, and teaching kids, right? Like that that's mm-hmm. that's our job is to get kids to learn, get them to be successful in their academics, and then move on. But there's there's so many levels to how to do that effectively. And one of the things is paying attention to the social and emotional needs of students and, and, and making them feel safe so that they, they can learn and and be there. Cause you know, it's not enough to just put kids in a room and say, listen to me. But I think that's the common perception of a lot of people is that that's what teachers do to a certain degree. But what really happens is we set up environments to where we can, to where kids are comfortable and they feel safe and secure. And then we slowly build those relationships. That way there is trust between the teacher and the students and the other students. And then learning starts to occur over time. And what happens and our campus specifically, I've seen, we have high turnover on our campus and it's because we are, it's a campus, not for everyone. There's, it's very fast. It can be intense sometimes. There's always a million things going on at once. It's uh, our students bring a lot of baggage with them. Uh, our the school is a hub for a lot of them, so they put all of their energy into the campus. That means that we deal with all of that energy in a variety of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's different, and it, so a lot. So it is. It can be a stressful place if you don't have those relationships or don't want to build those relationships with students. And the, the, the teachers who have uh, been most successful are the ones who love the kids unconditionally and, and fight to, to meet them where they are. It doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean it's always effective, but they've always been that. Now the teachers that struggle the most, the teachers that have the most behavior problems in their classrooms, the teachers that have uh, left the campus, you know, I was just talking to, Someone who was talking about a teacher who's no longer there, but she was like, you know, I I heard them say this and, you know, I really didn't bring it up, but she's gone now. So I feel like I can tell you, but this teacher, 
apparently like in the hallway, like in the first week had told the students, like she, she would rather go back to her ghetto school than deal with all the disrespectful kids here in this campus. Like, Mm -hmm. so you say things like that in the hallway and then you wonder why none of the kids want to be in your room in your space right. around you. Cause even if you don't, and even if you don't externally say that about students, right, your actions speak that your, the way you listen to them, the way you interact with them, the way you, everything from grades to uh, independent practice is shaped by your opinion and uh, perception of what students are. And that's, I feel like that is a, a, a component to the art of teaching is the one. I think the art, at least one of the pieces of the art of teaching is being able to have an open mind about every situation, because it's really easy to go into something and have biases about like why a student might do something. You know, it's really easy to be like, well, this kid's just disrespectful. This kid's just lazy. We hear it all the time. And it's usually those are, those are symptoms of a different problem, but that's the art. You have to be able to emotionally and mentally brace yourself for all of these things and not, and not be able, like if a kid is being disrespectful in your classroom to be able to go beyond that, to try to figure it out. But would you say that's the art or is that more, of the science. Cause there, there's probably a little science in there too. Well, I think you can't do it without the science. It's like, I'm going to go back to my artist palette, you know, the, the art, the actual, you know, the painter, but the painter has many tools, right? They have certain kind of canvases. They have certain kind of mediums, mediums that they use. But if you want to, if you want to paint leaves and you want to paint them quickly, you probably need a fan brush, not a little bitty thin line brush. So I think, Part of the science of having the tools of knowing what might work and what uh, doesn't work, I think is very important. It's how you implement those tools that creates the beautiful picture. It's how you implement the, uh, like you said, that that soft skill knowledge of reading the student, reading the student and, and watching and figuring out if, you know, like picking out in a, in your sea of kids, which one is the one that needs you to right then and there? And I think that is, is a nuance that not everybody has. And I think, uh, if students, if you feel uncomfortable in any kind of way, or if you are, you walk into a room and you are not one that has compassion for the student, or you're one that the the rules are before the kid rather than the kid comes before the rules, so to speak, then I, I think you are going to be eaten alive in certain places because those kids need to know you care, but the way you show that are those paintbrushes that, you know, you have to show it in different ways. Uh, you have to look them in the eye. You have to talk to them. You, you have to talk to the kids. You don't just dictate what they're going to do. You don't say, okay, now open your books, blah, blah, blah. And you just get started. It it starts out with, Hey, how are you, Timmy? How was your night yesterday? And remember what they told you the day before, Hey, how was that movie? You said you were going to go to with your, with your stepdad. Did it turn out? Okay. You know, you have to have a conversation with the kids and then you have to remember who they are. And I think being able to do that and do that on your feet, is where the art is. The science, you know, I can have some strategies to help me remember how to do some of that. But being able to do it smoothly, uh, I think is where your art is. Right. And I think the, 
You know, it kind of goes back to the the conversation of like how much should you know about your content, right? And I think I think based oh. on your grade, I think it really does. I think everyone should be an expert in their content, but I think in, in the level of which that is more important gets shifted depending on where you are, right? Like I don't remember who said it, but someone was talking about like in elementary and middle school, you're as a teacher, you're teaching kids and then high school and college, you're teaching content. Um, one would argue that you're probably still teaching them. You know, you're still teaching kids mm-hmm. in high school and probably even in college at this point. But I, the point is, regardless of semantics, is um, your the idea that, you know, I'm I'm very good at what I do. I understand strategy and pedagogy, but can someone that understands uh, like a history teacher who's very knowledgeable about history and all the nuances, are they able to teach kids as effectively as someone that might know their, the, the history they know is what they're reading in the curriculum, but they're a massively effective teacher because they understand classroom management. They understand building relationships. They understand how to use strategies and data effectively. Um, it's, it's kind of easy broken down like that. It's kind of easy to see which one would probably lead you to that. But I I feel like this, this makes it, I feel like this is a, this might irritate people who lean more towards the content side who are like, no, we need the, the teacher experts in the world and stuff like that. Um, so to what degree do you think that evens out at what degree do you think the, the, the science of teaching, so to speak? So well, here, how about let's define these, okay? Let's put these okay. in, in camps. that might be what we need to do. Mm-hmm. So if we're, when we're saying the science of teaching, right, not to be con- confused with like the science of reading or something like that, but the, the science of teaching, uh, see, in my head, I'm thinking the actual content itself, your knowledge of content, um, the brain science behind how students learn, how people learn, how they socialize, um, and then anything that's d- the data piece or uh, the, the curriculum side, so kind of the, the the black and white stuff, so to speak. Now, the science of learning isn't always <laughs> black and white, but you know what I'm saying. And then the art, in my opinion, yeah. would be the the relationship piece, the the how to motivate students um, intrinsically and extrinsically with uh, goals in in order to get them engaged um, to to create spaces for them that that are exciting, but also encourage them to dive into the learning process. So what, what, was there anything you would add to either of those? Is that how you think of it too? Well, yeah, I th- I would also uh, look into strategies that actually work research based behind the strategies. You know, I think at Marzano and some others have done Hattie, they have actually gone into and, and researched what works, what doesn't work, you know, so to me, knowing what works, um, where you're going to get most of your bang for your buck, if you will, is is a part of the science. I also think that when you're looking at lesson design, I think that's a science. I think uh, knowing how to put together a lesson, the, the elements that need to go in a lesson, I think is scientific. Uh, and I think there's several different theories as to what works. When I was first started, the Madeline Hunter way was the way that all lessons should be designed. Now we, some of us are learning backward design and the, the, you know, that that's the way it should go. And um, then we have what uh, 
I do, you do, we do, you know, that kind of type of thing. So I think knowing all of those different rules is a part of that science. And, uh, and the, so the art would fold into there too. So if you have the art of like, let's say lesson design, I suppose the art would be knowing how to present that to students. Yes. I think the art would be going in and out of each one of those elements in a way like the transition between the two, uh, the instinct of knowing that, okay, we need to move on to something else, or we need to keep going. We need to return back to that. Uh, I think people who are robotic in their teaching, uh, we've got to get through the content. So they put a, a lot of times, I mean, they'll, they'll be, the, the schedule comes before the need of the student and they have to run that agenda no matter what. And I think sometimes what you need to do is look and see what the students need. The art is being able to see what the students need and then pivoting or adjusting your lesson design to match what you're noticing out there. And I think a lot of times that's where, where teachers have a difficult time. Uh, when I work with new teachers, brand new teachers who have only learned the science because they haven't been out there, you know, they know that there's probably a way to do it. Uh, I think if they've not been, if they've not had teachers who are artistic in their teaching, then they're going to be robotic. And then trying to move them to an artistic way is really difficult. So I think a lot of times they need to experience it. So one of the things that we used to do would be we would take them into those teachers who have um, the wow factor, so to speak, you know, the ones who can just move that classroom and move those kids. Um, and I think we've tried to also take some of that knowledge and that ability and put it in a put it in a jar and sell it. You know, I think I think whoever created the Kagan. Uh, strategies, I think you can take those and knowing when to use them and when not to use them and how to use them, I think can be the art and how you put your painting or your lesson design together. When am I going to do what? What's effective when? But if you're just putting them in there because I've been taught to do these Kagan strategies, it can be very robotic and very, uh, it, it could, it could be uh, annoying actually. Uh, to the students because you're just getting up, getting down, getting up, getting down, going over here, going over there. But are they really learning? Are they just doing what you scientifically have been told to do? So I think the art is being able to take all of those, if you will, paintbrushes, your tools, and be able to use them in a way that's most effective to get the result that you need. And I think that's hard to teach. You said Teachers. something that you said something that was interesting in there, which was a newer teacher might not have been exposed to the art so much. So I wonder, can you learn the art of teaching without teaching? Like is, is, can the art of teaching be translated, uh, by a presenter or by a class, a college class getting uh, teachers ready, or is, is the art only developed on site? Well, I think you have, I, I think, Honestly, I th I think we've always said, you know, you can become a better reader by reading. You can become a better writing writer by writing. You become a better runner in track, if you will, by by running. You don't do it by going, mm, I think I should. I think, you know, you don't think about it. You have to go do it. And I think in teaching, you have to teach. I can tell you that uh, my own personal story, uh, I was actually told I wasn't going to be a good teacher. I was told I needed to quit and get out of it uh, during my student teaching. My mother had to come and fight for me 
to be a teacher wow. because they were going to fa- fail me. And they would have failed me because uh, my I, I couldn't grade the essays. They, they gave me all these essays to grade and I didn't know how to do it. Then nobody told me how to do it. So I was up an, an entire night. I mean, I was up, the, I put in an all-nighter because I had to have them all graded for this lady by a certain time. And then I don't know what happened, but next thing, then my actual supervisor, she was expecting a baby. So she went on maternity leave and another lady came in and judged me. And uh, and what she told me as to why I wouldn't be a good teacher was that my makeup was not appropriately placed on my face. Like I don't wear makeup very often. I just don't. I've never felt comfortable in makeup because I just haven't. I don't know why. Uh, but uh, so my my lips were running down into my face. Nobody could tell the difference. My hair was too long. I needed to wear it up. I had too much pink on. Uh, I let them bird walk me. I didn't even know what that meant at the time. I was 20 years old. You think I, I don't even bird, know what that means walking? now. What is bird? Okay. Mean? Well, see, there you go. Well, bird walking is where uh, a student can tell you something and then you go, you go down that trail or this trail. So oh, they, that you okay. followed the birds and they're going all over the place. Well, I don't know. We were teaching the crucible. I, I, how do you bird walk a crucible? I don't know. But anyway, so I sat there, I missed my lunch and everything for her to tell me that. I had the star, not the star, the state test for teachers, right? That next day, my content, like that was on a Friday. I had that on a, on a Saturday morning. I had to, so I stayed all night up all night where I should have been studying. So I was stressed. And then not only that, I get a phone call Sunday morning and they're telling or Sunday afternoon. And, and my professors are telling me, you don't need to go back to that school. You need to meet with us. And I went, why? And they said, well, because you're not going to make it as a teacher. We're going to fail you. And I had gone through what I was a senior in college. I mean, that was my last class. I'd already, I I didn't have anything else to do. That was all I knew how to do. So apparently I did not understand the art of teaching. I did not, I didn't even know the science of teaching because I was fresh out, but nobody really shared with me what to do. So my mother, who is a teacher, stepped in and she told them what she thought. And uh, (laughs) I got a second chance. Thank you, mom. And uh, she really, really told them, you do not want my mom. My mother will fight for her children, let me tell you. And so you don't want her. She'll fight for her own students. She'll fight. So she's a fighter. So anyway, I at that time in my life, I needed somebody to fight for me. I didn't know what to do. I was devastated. So I got a second chance at another district, and that lady worked with me. And she she was a great teacher. And she... It was an eighth grade English class. And she told me, she walked me through the lesson and she would, she didn't have it. She didn't hesitate to let me take her class. The other people, they would just let me take pieces of the class. And then when I finally got to do the whole thing, it was when I was observed by a lady who didn't even know me. So I I think, yes, I think that you can be taught because it wasn't until I took Abydos that I really became a teacher. And that's because I finally knew strategies. I knew the science that went behind it. But then I watched Dr. Carol. She taught us, Dr. Carol did. And when she taught me and the, t- and the trainers that taught me, they showed me what the art looks like. And I have honed that ever since. So I think it can be trained. I think that we can't give up on people too early, including young teachers. And I think the magic is not giving up too early. 
Well, I think the in terms of the people need not give up on themselves too, right? Because yeah, yeah, yeah. That that that's kind of the the difference maker. I think we're hitting on accidentally. I didn't even realize this was going to go this way. I think we're hitting on why people struggle with workshop, right? Okay. Because right. when I mean you and I have experienced it, workshop is one of those things that you talk about it. And in theory, like it sounds decent. I think when people are just listening to it, they can get why, you know, it sounds like it can work. I think the most resistance you get when you, when you're hearing it is it might sound too freeing and that scares some people, right? A little bit too open, Mm -hmm. so to speak. Um, but it, if let, let's say whoever's listening to one of a like let's say you're doing a presentation on workshop your your job is just to describe workshop its components and then send people on their way i think what happens is the in order for workshop to be effective you have to be good at the art right because it's so much pivoting it's so much listening you have to be an expert in how students uh get engaged in reading and and how they get engaged in writing and all of that stuff. And that's kind of the the science, but, uh, in order to have an effective workshop that can survive over time, it takes just a, a deep commitment to learning the craft of teaching, you know, when like, and, and that, that's a, that that's a scary thing because there's so much in workshop that is, it's based, uh, so much on, how we react to the situation. If, if if a table is stuck, you can't just go, Oh, right. And you can't just go, well, you have, you have 20 minutes to get this down and you're getting a zero today. Like that kills the workshop the workshop <laughs> and yes. right. And so, yes. uh, that I feel like this is, this is kind of the, the difficult part of all of this, which is just someone, internalizing the pieces and then taking the time it takes to, to, to just learn that art of, of being flexible and listening and altering as we go. And, you know, we even like for us, right between you, our partner and myself, when we're planning, I mean, we have like over 50 years of experience between all of us and we still have the conversations of, okay, so what does this look like? Oh, we can do this. And then in our plans, we're, we're specifically saying, oh yeah. And we will see what goes on from here because what your class takes a turn might be different than where my class takes a turn. It'll be different than when hers takes a turn. So even though we might start in the same place and end up in the same place relatively, the, the path that we take to get there is going to be vastly different because we all have internalized this art, so to speak. And we know that that art is going to lead us in a variety of different places. And I think that is, uh, I don't know. I, I, I think that's the piece. Cause I know when I was trying to learn workshop, I kept on hearing what it was and I would hear things like the mini lesson and conferring. And I kept on going, you know, I don't even, I don't even, what does it look like? Like what does an actual workshop look like? And you know, mm-hmm. there's a few examples online and one of the the big ones uh, that I found after I'd already started doing workshop was, you know, 180 days with Penny Kill and Kelly Gallagher where they actually have videos of right. them doing mini lessons and conferring and stuff for people that don't know that you should go check it out. It's very useful. Um, but like, I remember like reading Nancy Atwell's in the middle her, that book was like the first one that laid it out so clearly, uh, this, just that workshop format. And and then the art, like she describes it so well, Donald Miller's book whisper does it too, but on the reading side, um, I don't even know if Donald Miller actually calls herself a workshop teacher. That'd be an interesting question to ask, but, um, 
it, it leans that way, but it was that, but what I still had to take that and go do it though. Right. Like I couldn't just read it. Oh. And now I knew workshop. It's like, okay, so I just have to make this and then roll with it because this is the only way to really learn. Like we've had a new, we've had several new teachers that I've helped with workshop and I just always tell them like, just trust the process, you know, the each piece, I was like, you just got to get in there and do it because there's no other way to experience 30 minutes of kids choosing their topics and writing about whatever they want. And while you're conferring, there's no way to prepare for everything that can happen in that 30 or 40 minute time frame where you have students independently working. But right. And I and I think, too, creating a lesson design that's broad enough to fit all of that and still keep yourself focused to moving along the trail we're supposed to move uh, content or curriculum. And that is, I think that's also very difficult to learn to do. And it takes time and it just takes a long time. But of course, one of the things that you, you know, going back to the science, the science is your foundation. It's the, the science I think the more you know about teaching, the more strategies you know, the more stuff. I mean, I think one of the things that makes me effective is I have, I've probably forgotten more than I've learned. And that is, I well, I don't know if I said that right, but the point is I've probably forgotten a lot that I've learned over the years, but I have strategies internalized. I could get up without even writing a lesson plan just about and almost put together a lesson that flows because I have done it so much. And, uh, but I have studied the art of teaching. I've, I've studied it. I've read those books that you just mentioned. I've, I read a lot of books. I watch a lot of videos. I go into other people's classrooms. There's nothing that makes you better. I think any more than going into someone else's classroom. So I would suggest you find that one person. I always, that's one thing I always did. And I think I, I learned that from my parents. My parents were coaches and uh, I wanted to be a great volleyball player one day and when I was younger. And so my mother took me to the local colleges for me to identify with a player that became my player hero, so to speak, you know, my player that and and I followed that player and I, and I copied the way that they did. I watched that person serve and I learned, I imitated their serve. And so I think as a teacher, we can do the same thing. I mean, I hope you have, I, I've seen class, seen places where you don't get to go uh, to other people's classrooms, but I, I think some of the best administrators allow teachers to see other teachers. And when you watch other teachers, and that is probably one of the best things you can do. You can learn a lot by watching somebody and imitating them. So I would I would encourage anybody to find a teacher hero, so to speak, somebody that they model after and, and imitate them. Uh, that's really one of the best ways to learn. And that's one of the things that I did uh, is I found people and I asked them, can I come watch you teach? And that's how I learned a lot of stuff. That's what I did too. I had a lot of, I had we, the, my first principal did a lot of uh, staff walkthroughs where we went into people's rooms. I had a lot of people in my room watching me fail spectacularly my first year. <laughs> yeah, that's, you got to get stories. over that. <laughs> yeah, but you know it is true. Like I think every time I watch a teacher teach, uh, I grow as an educator, bad and good. Right, ineffective teachers, mm -hmm. inexperienced teachers are just as informative as the really good ones. Mm -hmm. um, there are. 
we did a thing my first year that taught me a lot, which was we we were a student for a day. So we followed, we shouted a student's schedule oh. and experienced what it was like going from class to class. And that taught me a lot about just like the realities of a kid going to eight periods, right? And and what that looks like and what it feels like. And, you know, mm-hmm. it, it made me realize that a lot of students, like when I was going from class to class, it was like when I would go into one, it was like, oh, we're starting. Oh, we're already here. Like, you know what I mean? Like it was no, there was no like inciting incident to get the lesson started. And so like that has formed a lot of how I approach the beginning of a class to where every day the students know that they're going to write down the standard for the day at the top of their craft book. And because I do that without waiver, it's that that's the bridge. It's like, okay, doesn't matter where you came from. Doesn't matter what happened in the hallway, what happened in the last period. You're here, you're writing down the standard. Boom, we're together. Right. And mm-hmm. it's, it's those moments. Right. And even before COVID, when I had students, uh, I had a rug in my room. And so the, the, the mini lesson happened when we're all on the rug and then we would go off to read and we would spread out and then writing. So it was all this movement involved. So I had a lot of, uh, body changes that, that signaled when they should be thinking differently because their brains are going all over the place, right? Like it or not, right. like they're not thinking about you and your lesson a hundred percent while they're in your classroom. No, unfortunately. And all this time, I thought they were. No. I'm so disappointed. No matter how funny you are <laughs> or what props you bring, right? Yeah, um, like wearing like wearing two glasses at the same time, which is right. what he was laughing about earlier because uh-huh. I had a pair of glasses on my head and one on my face. <laughs> I would do that purposefully for the kids, but that was, was kind of funny. But um, this – so this idea of, of, of bringing them in – and and creating the that thinking while you're watching other teachers and and experiencing what students experience there there's just so much value in seeing great stuff I, you know i think my year as a literacy coach really did teach me a lot because i was just in so many classrooms and i got to experience it's like oh this is what the kid in the corner is doing while the teacher talks for 20 minutes you know what i mean and oh, doesn't that's move true. and doesn't move around the room like you don't you know cuz you don't in honestly, like you, it's it's the same way of like filming yourself. Like you think certain things are happening in your classroom until mm-hmm. you see an image of or a video of yourself teaching, and you're like, oh my god! Like, how did I not see that kid like <laughs> poking this other kid across the the room? And you know, there, there's so many nuances, and you'll never catch everything. It's it's the art of uh, you know just getting better over time. Like the, the I'm, I catch more today than I did last year, and the year before that, and the year before that, and. I'm able to manage a lot better, but there's still stuff I miss. And, you know, every year is an adventure and every group of kids is different. So they need different things. But uh, easily I double down on, you know, if you can watch other people, watch other classrooms, see what's up, see what you can do. Um, Mm -hmm. It'd be fun to do. uh, I would love to record model lessons um, with craft and draft if we could ever do that. Maybe we can do that as a a special thing one day, but. Yeah, it's scary to do that too, though, right? Putting your stuff out there. I know. And well, letting everyone go, oh, well, they're not that great. <laughs> <laughs> well, they might. Oh, I do that. Yeah. But sometimes it's not in the flair of the teacher, it's in what the students are doing. And I think that that is being able to recognize what, what that student needs at that time, I think is, is splendid. Splendid is a perfect way to close out this episode. Miss Ochoa, that's Pam Ochoa. I'm Jacob Chastain. We are the Craft and Draft team over here. Hopefully you enjoyed this philosophical episode all about the art of teaching. If you want to know what Craft and Draft is all about, we have a bunch of episodes. But you can hit subscribe. You'll never miss 
an episode. If you hit subscribe, it happens every Friday. Leave a review, share it with your team, send us a question. If you want us to answer a question, it could be about anything about reading, writing, workshop. It could be a more philosophical question. You could challenge us on something and we can address that. Whatever it is, you can send us questions three ways. You can go to craftanddraftworkshop.com, hit submit a question at the top. You can DM me directly on any social media app or... You can message us over there on the Craft and Draft Facebook page. Either way, send your questions in. We would love to talk to you. Thank you for listening. We'll have another episode. We're starting school, so I imagine the next episode will be about our first week back, everything that went good, and maybe some of the things that went wrong with our new building and all the quirks that come with having a brand new school. I'm sure we're going to have stories next week. Well, we already have some, I think. Yeah, the evacuation because <laughs> yeah. the air is too dirty. The air we were breathing in cement. Oh, yes. my God. So it's coming. Uh, the podcast is heating up. You know, we like to share the lessons that we're doing in this class. And now that we work so closely together, we'll be able to share different sides of similar lessons, I'm sure. So stick around, ladies and gentlemen. Craft the Draft is heating up this year. But until then, know that we are here for you. <laughs> <laughs>